Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishna Das Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishna Das shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishna Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. My job, your job's not to push thoughts away or push stuff away. Your job is to remember to sing. And gradually you start to pay attention when you run out of shit to think about. And But it takes time. You have to a practice, doing a practice every day over time. It's not so easy. But with, by his grace at that time, we were given the, the space to have that experience. And it's from that experience that I'm here now. There's no way I could do this if I didn't have some 
I can't tell you what something tastes like unless I've eaten it, you know, and that's all that comes down to. So I know this works. I know how it works. I don't know why it works, but I know how it works. And it has nothing to do with understanding it. You just do it. And the understanding comes from within. The experiences come from within. Naturally. And you... This is not just me. There's nothing special about me. I guarantee you there's nothing special about me. I know me. People say, oh, you're so humble. And I said, yes, right. <laughs> I got humble down. I know how to be humble, but I know me. I'm not being humble. I'm telling you the truth. We're all the same. Everybody has it inside. Every one of us. It's just covered up by our stuff. If you do a practice long enough with enough sincerity, this, it's, you've got us. It, there's no question that you're going to have a response from your heart. It happens. It has to happen. There's no doubt about that. You got to understand that. If we think we're doing everything, it's not the case. You know, it just looks that way to us. Everything's being done by our karmas unfolding, the, the force of grace in our lives that are moving us in the right direction, our longing to be free, our longing for love, our longing to be uh no longer the slave of our obsessive thoughts and emotions, wanting to really feel something real. That longing is how human beings experience being pulled within by your own heart. The longing is what saves our lives. It also ruins our lives because nothing's ever enough. You get something that you wanted, this is perfect, but it ain't enough. And you know it, how long it takes you to deal with the issue of it not being enough. You can pile new clothes on it, dress it up, take it places, you know, make it do all kinds of things, but it ain't going to be enough. So now there's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't expect it to be enough. If you try to squeeze water from a stone, your hands are going to be bloody because water doesn't come from a stone. If you don't expect water to come from the stone, you can bang your head over with a stone. You can do anything with the stone, but you're not going to expect water to come from it. So you'll be, you won't be disappointed. We are disappointed with life. It's not giving us what we want. But at the same time, there's a part of us that knows or believes, at least to some degree, that it should give us what we want. Why isn't it giving us what we want? That's why we do practice. That's the real meaning of practice and of these names, is our own beauty, our own truth, our own reality, our own well-being, sense of well-being that lives within us. It's to put us in touch with that. That's the real meaning of all practices. And I'm sorry. It's inevitable. Don't believe me. I don't care. It's inevitable. Sorry. And this isn't Catholic school. I'm not telling you this just to make you believe it and give you a good mark in, cl in class. It's inevitable. It's, everybody's on the same path. It's happening for everybody at their own rate. That's the way it is. So do, that, do with that what you want. 
and the great beings. We're talking about gurus, okay? A guru is called Trikalavisham, the dweller in three times, past, future, and present. There's no past, present, and future for a guru. They've seen, they see everything in the past and the future and right now. They're not stuck in time like we are. It's inconceivable until you have the experience yourself. And then you say, oh, that's what that means. And that's the way it is. You go, oh, that's what that means. You read about this stuff and then you have the experience. You go, oh, that's what that means. So, and for a great being, there's nothing to do. It's already done because there's no time. And Krishna says this in the Gita, I come as time, the great destroyer. And Arjun looks and he sees all beings entering into Krishna and coming out of Krishna, birth, death, and everything going on. And at the same time, he sees nothing is moving in the universe. No time. Stuff moves because of time. It starts, there's a middle and an end. That's time. But when you are Krishna, there's no time. Past, present, and future are now. So there's no becoming and there's no dying. There's no coming and going. And at the same time, stuff is happening. It's inexplicable. Until you have the experience. And then you go, oh, that's what that means. That's what that is. And that's what happens. Through practice, you start to have little intuitions about what this is about. And it's all about, ultimately, about us feeling good about ourselves. That's what it comes down to. And then we extend that to others. So we try to cultivate compassion because we don't have the wiring to feel good about ourselves when we're alone. We sit at home and we go through the television channels until we find we wake up in the morning with the with the clicker in our hand. We don't have the wiring. When we're alone, we sink. Or we get busy. We gap out. We get lost in stuff. We don't have the wiring to just be living at ease of heart and happy and awake and alive and joyful. We don't have the wiring because nobody we grew up with had the wiring. How are we going to get it? Well, somehow we know that that wiring can be gotten, can be found. Otherwise, what are we doing? Everybody here has their own reason for being here, and it all revolves around coming to that place where you feel good about yourself. So, the real meaning of all these chants is being them. I mean, when you're singing, you just sing. There's just singing. It's not even you singing. There's only singing happening. There's nobody thinking, wow, I'm really singing. You know? That's, that's when you notice that, you just come back. And eventually, because you, anything you can let go of, any thought or feeling or emotion can be let go, can be let go of. Some of them are pretty sticky. Some of them are very deeply ingrained in us. Some of them involve other people we're involved with that are painful or joyful experiences. 
very difficult things. And we identify with that. And it hurts us. It, it, it owns us for a while. But we find a way to process it and be with it in a way that's not destructive to ourselves. Somebody once asked His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Your Holiness, are you happy? Right? Which is a hell of a question to ask somebody like that. But he asked them. It was a reporter, I think. And the Dalai Lama said, well, you know, you could say I've had a pretty hard life. You know, I was taken away from my parents as a child, raised in a monastery. And then all of a sudden I had to take over the reins of my country at a very such a young age. And then there I am trying to do this and the Chinese invade and start murdering millions of my people. And I had to escape over the mountains, and now I'm living in exile while millions of my countrymen are being tortured and killed. But I'm happy. <laughs> Can you say that? If I stub my toe in the morning, I'm fucked for a week. <laughs> this is where we are. And that's where he is. That's where we're going, though. He doesn't, he's not pushing it away. He's not saying, I'm not dealing with it. He's dealing with it. But it doesn't affect this because this is who you are. It's not something you get. And when you're in touch with that, you are that. Your happiness, your joy, your love, your compassion, you're all those things. Because you don't get those things from the outside. That's who we are when we're not busy thinking we're something else. Can you talk a little about the difference of a mantra that is repeated silently, said to yourself versus sung? Mm -hmm. Is there an energetic difference? And how does, is that in your practice? It's hard to do mantra quietly uh, with just, uh, without, it takes more effort, more awareness, more concentration to not get blasted away by your thoughts when you're doing it silently. When you talk... The reason people sing this out loud is that it's it's easier. To, your your he, ears are involved, your body's involved, your breathing's involved. There are other people doing the same thing with you. So if you're off for 20 minutes, somebody's singing next to you in the room. So you have a, a better chance of coming back sooner than later. Energetically, I don't think there's any difference. Uh, Because you see, even when you're singing out loud, your hearing, the hearing is internal. You're still hearing it inside. So the mantra is really going on inside as well as outside. There's, the outside is only because we're so gross and so attached to the physical body and the senses that it's very helpful to sing it that way outside. And it brings, you know, it, it it helps everybody around you to pay attention. So it's a service at the same time. But I don't know that energetically there's much difference. Sometimes when you're given a prayer to do or a particular long mantra, the instructions are to whisper it kind of to yourself. So other people can't really hear, but you can hear. just very Because the hearing is very helpful. Very helpful. Because we're so lost in our thoughts. It's just extraordinary when you begin to see it. All we do is think, 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 think all the time about everything and anything. And it's on and on and on. And it bounces off one wall, off the next wall, off the next wall, off the next wall, around and around and around. 
to break that from inside is kind of difficult. So when you sit down to sing, you, you got to kind of be, you know, there's a lot more things involved. Eventually, I don't think that, uh, eventually I think it pulls you in. Your awareness expands inside and you begin to hear the mantras inside of you and the name repeated inside flowing along by itself without your effort. All you have, all you're doing is hearing it all the time, whatever you're doing. But if people didn't do it out loud, I would have never heard it. So I would have, so that, you know, when I, I was in India and I was walking around the lake at the town, in the town I was in, and I, I heard this chanting coming from this temple, right? And I was just blown away. And it, all the lights went on at that moment, you know, and I, this, this is what I need. I, I got to get more of this. So um, that was a very important moment for me. And if they had been sitting in there quietly, I would have just walked by, right? So that's the whole thing in a nutshell, you know. When you do it outside, other people can hear it. Other, it helps everybody. It helps you. But energetically, I think outside is just an illusion. There really is no outside. It seems like there is, but really there is no outside. There's no inside either. That inside-outside thing is just a thought form. Uh, you're saying quietly, out in the physical universe, making sound. But some people can hear thoughts as if they're spoken. So because we're so gross and locked into the five senses, we think there's an inside and outside. But other people who can see thoughts and emotions and energies, those people recognize that there really is no inside or outside. It just looks that way when you're stuck in a particular uh, bandwidth, which we all share, this one, this bandwidth. That's why we all f see each other in the room. We also probably believe that we're actually real, which is hilarious, actually, if you think about it, to say the least. But we're, we, we share a bandwidth that all these people, all these cars, everybody that you see f around you and hear around you, they all share that bandwidth. It's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an agreed upon uh, insanity. Insanity being a state of mind that, that you can't get out of, that you're stuck in. And we're all stuck in this bandwidth. So we share the same insanity. We all think we're real. We all think we're individuals. And on one level, in relative reality, it looks that way, right? We all look like separate people to each other. But if we had different eyes, this would look very different to us. You know, these great beings, they don't... They might be able to see the physical body, but they see a lot of other things. And they see that the same light, you might say, lives in each heart, is exactly the same. And they, that's the oneness that they talk about. It's like the moon's light reflected in many different pools. You know, you go out at night and there's like a lot of different ponds around. And in every pond, the moon's light is reflected and looks so beautiful. It's the same light in every pond. But each pond looks, in each pond, it looks distinct. 
And the pawn gets identified with the distinctness instead of the, the similarity, the one, the singularness, which is what I mean. We're stuck in this bandwidth that's attached to our senses and our minds. So through practice, those attachments, those identifications are stretched a little bit and loosened up. And why would we want to do that? Anybody know? Why would we want to do practice at all? Why did you even come here today? Well, because something in our lives is not enough, as it is. There's not enough space, there's not enough love, there's not enough happiness, and there's too much stress and tension, and there's too much... uh, Things get too hard. That's why that shows us ourselves. It shows us that we have limitations. And we have to find out a way to get the things we want in life. Uh, Kind of off the subject, but uh, I just wanted to ask you, how young were you when you met your guru and what that experience was like for you? Um, If it was something that, you know, you knew right away, Um, you know, something, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of your thoughts and feelings. Did you ever fall in love? Yes. That's what it's like. Mm -hmm. Nobody has to tell you. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that you never fall out. That's the thing. Guru means love. That's what a guru means. And guru is not a physical being either, by the way. The guru is that love that lives within each one of us. And we may not meet a guru on the physical plane. You can have teachers. You might find teachers. But gurus are something else. And they don't necessarily manifest on the physical plane. My guru used to say, go away is my mantra. People would come, he said, good, you come, go. He didn't need us to be there. He did, he let let us hang out for a while, but he didn't need us to be there. Real guru is everywhere all the time, living within you as your own true nature, as your love, the love that lives within you. Guru, God, and self are the same. Self, that's you, who you are, is the same as Guru, is the same as God. So yes, when I, I, when I met Ramdas, I became instantly aware of something. Immediately I knew that whatever it was I was looking for, it was real, right? I felt it. I didn't know what it was, right? So because I'm who I am, I thought it must be Ramdas, right? That was a convenient thing to pin it on. So I started hanging out with him. And I quickly realized that it wasn't him, that it was coming through him. And he had this little picture of this guy, you know, a couple of black and white pictures and stuff. And he said, this is my guru. And I, so I began to think it must be him, you know, because it's, it's obviously not this, this guy. This guy's... Half the time he's an asshole. The other half the time he's pretty good, but God, he's a pain in the ass. So I decided to go to India to be with the old man after about a year and a half of hanging out with him. 
But I knew immediately when I walked into that room with Ramnas, there was no doubt in my mind. Something happened. You know, it was like that. And you can, you know, something happened. And uh, really, nothing much has changed since that, that moment. All the experiences I had with Maharaji later, while in the body, with him, physically, were just icing on the cake, you know. Because that first moment, I just knew, right? And it's actually the knowing. That's, that's the thing. That's that, that first moment when you first fall in love. It's so intense. It's like, seems, it's, you know, like they say, when, when you're in love, the whole world's Jewish. You know that phrase? When you're, when you're in love, it, everywhere is, it's love, right? Everybody, you're walking down the street, everybody's beautiful, right? That's that first moment. So at that moment, it was very interesting because it wasn't attached to any person. It was just, right? It was just everywhere. It was quite extraordinary. Later, when I met him, it was actually hard to figure out how all that fit in that little body, you know? Because I'd been feeling him so intensely for like, almost a year and a half, really intensely. And then I went to meet him and I thought, I, I didn't, my mind was having a hard time. How does it get in that, wrapped up in that blanket like that, you know? Did you talk to him? Did I, you don't talk to him. Yeah. He, he just throws fruit at you. That's <laughs> we don't, there was nothing to discuss. Oh. When you fall in love, are you lying in bed talking to each other? Well, that's what, well, usually you're just kind of like, yeah, after, after, you know what yeah. I mean? Well, that's what it is. Uh, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> it was like that every day. Like that. He would just look at us and laugh because our minds were stopped. You know, we just looked at him like, like just like that. And of course, since, you know, since there's no loss of bodily fluids, you know, it's very, it's kind of more smoother ride. You know, it's not like up and down and up and down and up and down. You don't have to take a shower, smoke a cigarette, nothing like that. <laughs> it's just love. In fact, one time, this is a long story, but I, I was having a nervous breakdown, a complete meltdown, right? And I was, my head, I was crying in his lap. And he said, he hit me on the head. He said, you'll be happy when you're married. And I said, Bob, I want to marry you. And he just laughed, you know. He said, if you marry me, all you'll get is love. You're not going to get laid. <laughs> so, you know, the thing was, being with him was like that. There was nothing, you couldn't, nothing was hidden, you know? All your secret little secrets and all your, it was all out in the open for him. And he would respond to those things as if you were having a conversation, but you never had to say anything. Very interesting. You know, it was extraordinary experience. Because even while he's showing you that he knows everything about you, every little slimy, miserable thing that you've ever done and thought and felt and all that stuff, the love was so extraordinary and so intense that you, 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 you wanted, you were in it, right? And then he would turn away and talk to somebody else, right? And after a few minutes, you start to kind of come back. And 
your own stuff would bring you back. Like, like I said at the very beginning of the day, you want to go through that door and you want to stay in that room of love. But you're carrying so much baggage that you can't get through the door. And you don't want to let go of the baggage, you know? You know how they catch, um, how do they catch? What is it, that animal? Mice, huh? Monkeys. They catch monkeys. They put a banana in a cage. And the monkey reaches in and grabs a banana. And he can't let go of the banana and he can't get his hand out of the cage. And then they just walk up and put another, a thing on him and they got him. He will not let go of the banana. We will not let go of our stuff. And, uh, but around him, around him, you were able to let go of your stuff for a while, for long periods of time and really be immersed in the love. But then your own stuff brought you down and brought you back and made you feel miserable. And you'd be sitting there right in front of them feeling like shit, you know. And you can't believe you're doing this yourself right here, right in front of them. How could this be? And I can't believe I'm so fucked up that I'm doing this here in India. And I'm here, I'm looking at them. I feel like terrible. And I'm, and you, and then boom, you get hit on the head with a banana. And you look up and he goes, you know, he knew everything. That's how he taught us. He would let us in the room with love. He would watch as we dragged ourselves out of it. And then he would let us in again. And you begin to see your stuff in a new way. It's no longer you. It's just your stuff, you know. And it changes the way you, you live in your life. Because you recognize what's possible. You really experience what's possible, you know. But ultimately, uh, you know, when, when he left the body or whatever he did and he wasn't there to be found, I lost my, uh, my button to push, you know. I lost the thing that always made me feel good and feel, you know, not more than good, always made me feel right and complete and whole. And I didn't know what to do, you know. I lost it. I lost that connection to that completely. I thought. So, even though I knew it was real and I knew it existed, I no longer had the access to that place because of my own stuff, my own depression, self-hatred and anger, fear and, and, and uh, general crappiness, you know, just... And so I just, I had no way to get out of that. And when he sent me back to America, he said, go, you have to, you have attachment. You have to go back to America. Which is exactly what happened. You know, I came back and I got hit with all the stuff, you know, all my own stuff. So I had to learn to find that inside. That was the really hard part. It was easy to go to India and get dysentery and walk around, with, you know, all those physical difficulties that India presents with nothing compared to trying to get in there through your own stuff. Oof. So when I started chanting, I started chanting because I had been in my room. I was standing in my room. I was very unhappy, very depressed, really bad state of mind. And uh, all of a sudden I understood that if I didn't sing with people, this is how many years? 20 years after he left the body. Right. 
And I had been singing a little bit with people that I knew from the old days, but I recognized if I didn't chant with people, I would never be able to clean out the dark corners and shadows of my own heart. And I knew that the only thing that was screwing me up was that stuff. There was no doubt about that, but I didn't know how to deal with it. So I started singing, and that's what's kind of redirected me in the right direction, you know. Well, we're glad you did. Thank you. I'm glad you're glad. 